0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about the law of faith. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 27, this is just a quick review. The law of faith. And the verse says, where is boasting then? Is, it is excluded. By what law of works? Nope. Nay, but by the law of faith. And we talked about faith is a spiritual law that basically operates just like natural laws operate. We know the law of gravity is a law that is functional. We know the law of thrust and lift is functional. And we know that when you operate in the law of thrust and lift, what happens? You rise up above the law of gravity. As long as it's in operation and the conditions are being met. But when they stop being met, the law of gravity takes over. Well, there's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that liberates us from the law of sin and death. Both are laws. But the higher law can override the lower law. And of course, it takes the law of faith in order to do that. So what's important is that we operate in the law of faith so that we can activate the law of life in Christ Jesus and rise up above the law of sin and death. Well, the most important thing to rise up above is spiritual death. And when you gave your heart to Jesus, when you made him your Savior and Lord, you operated in the law of faith with the heart man believes, with the mouth confesses to salvation. And what happened? Praise God. The law of life came into your spirit and thank God you were delivered from death. Now that law, we understand, can be interrupted, which we saw Peter walking out on the water. He's operated in faith. He was walking on water. But when he got distracted and looked away from the word that was spoken by Jesus, he began to sink. And I believe that that was handpicked by the Holy Spirit to be included in Holy Scripture. Why? So that we can understand that you can start out in faith, but that law of faith can be interrupted if we get distracted by the things that are around us. That's exactly what happened to Peter and we understand the example. We're taught that lesson that if we don't stay operating in the law of faith, the miracle may not be consummated. So it's important to understand that. Okay, then we talked about faith involving the heart and the mouth of a person, any believer. It deals with your heart and your mouth. When Jesus taught the law of faith in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, he says you've got to believe in your heart and say with your mouth. But notice he said this, You believe in your heart that what you say with your mouth will come to pass and you'll have whatsoever you say. But what we say, we've often emphasized, must be based on what God has already said. He hath said, so we may boldly say. Also, it's important to know that this heart must be in fellowship and communion with God. That faith is a spiritual force. It's not an intellectual force. If it was intellectual, all you would have to do is learn. But it's not intellectual. It is spiritual. It involves a heart that is in close communion with God. And born out of that fellowship is trust in God. We learn to trust him. And we'll talk about how David learned to trust him, which enabled him to stand against Goliath. And the words he spoke came from his heart. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. So it involves the heart and the mouth of a believer. And Jesus said... You can honor me with your lips while your heart is far from me. So these two have to be in sync. We have to believe it from the heart and speak it with the mouth that is born out of a close, intimate relationship and communion with our Heavenly Father. Remember what Jesus said? Every time he talked about faith, if you had faith, you would say. If you had faith, you would say. Think about that. Every time he talked about faith, if you had faith you would say to that mountain. If you had faith, you'd say to that sycamine tree. So it's released with words of faith. We understand that. But once again, it's easy to say it. It's difficult to get those two in sync. If you, unless you really recognize what's on the inside. The heart has got to be in communion with God. We must embrace the word of God. We must have a revelation possibly from God as to what we are to say or what we are to do. So as we continue our study, look at Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your neighbor's service. No, your reasonable service. So it's up to us to present our bodies to God for a reason. And be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. 30, 60, fold. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. No one is without faith here tonight. We all have faith. We've all been dealt the measure of faith. Faith is the gift of God. And when we hear the word of God, faith comes. So the reason why we all have faith? Because we're all saved. If you're saved, you're saved by grace through what? Through faith. So it takes faith to be saved. So if we're saved, we have faith. So the moment we heard the gospel being preached, Faith came into our hearts. Once we embraced that truth, what did we do? Called upon the name of the Lord, and we got saved. For with the heart man believes, to right standing with God, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And the word salvation, soteria, it means it's it's inclusive. To be saved, healed, delivered, preserved, made whole, etc., And so it's all inclusive. So we've got to believe from the heart what the word says and confess with our mouth what the word says, and thou shalt be saved. In Romans chapter 10, now notice these verses, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, how can they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, And hearing by the word of God. Notice faith doesn't come by having heard the word of God. This is something that's present tense. It comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So the more we hear it, the more faith comes. The less we hear it, the less faith comes. We have to hear it over and over again. That's why we've got to hear the gospel preached constantly because it brings faith now. So, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, but there are three key components that we see in those scriptures. Hearing, believing, and acting. Hearing, believing, and acting. These are the three important components of faith. You've got to hear the word. Then you've got to believe the word. And then there has to be action. You've got to call upon the name. If you don't call upon him... You're not going to be saved. So you got to hear it. You've got to believe it and call upon him. And the primary action, which the action of faith is this. Speaking. The primary action of faith is speaking. Jesus said, if you had faith, you would say. Know what I say? Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm washed in the precious blood of the lamb. I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. I found those truths in the word of God. And when I became a child of God, they were already realities as far as God was concerned in my life. It was up to me to find those truths, embrace those truths, and then proclaim those truths or decree them in my life. A lot of Christians walk around just, they're defeated in life and they're overcome in life. And if they're weak, they say they're weak. Now look, this isn't magical. This is not a magical formula that we have. This is someone who looks to the word of God and says, let the weak say, I am strong. Not because someone told you to say that, not because a preacher told you to say that. But you found out that the word of God says, if you're weak, then let the weak say, I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why are you to say that? Because when you say that from the heart and you believe that it activates the miracle working power of God in the life of the believer to dispel the weakness and bring the strength of God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles and run and not weary and walk and not faint. Even the young men will faint. So it's not about physical strength. It's not about youth. It's about someone believing and knowing who he is in Christ and what he has in Christ. And in the New Testament, not just let the weak say I'm strong, but say you're strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me is a declaration of your faith because it means he infuses inner strength to you. It's his strength. It's his power. It's his ability. But it's activated how? By proclaiming it. Remember Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20? Everybody misquotes it, usually half quotes it. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. Is where most people stop. Well, how? According to the power, dunamis, 1411, in your strong concordance, miracle working power that's efficiently operative in you. How does it become activated? By declaring it, by decreeing it. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. You know what? We can either believe the devil's bigger than God or God's bigger than the devil. I've heard a lot of Christians walking around saying, the devil's been after me all week. And not saying, the Lord is my defense. I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. The Lord's on my side. He's my help. Many say of me there is no help in God. That's what the psalmist said. But you know what? He's unto me the glory and the lifter of mine head. We could either say the negative or the positive. It's up to us to be optimistic or pessimistic. Optimism is found in the word of God. God's a positive God. You believe that, don't you? All right. In Mark's Gospel chapter 5, let's see it played out. We said there are three components to faith. You've got to hear it. You've got to believe it. And you've got to act upon it. And the primary action of faith is what? Saying. Saying. So let's read it. Mark 5. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. And had suffered many things of many physicians. And had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered. But rather grew worse. When she had, everybody say heard. She heard was the first component of faith. You have to hear something. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. Why did she do that? For she said, for she said, what did she say? If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Wait a minute. Why would she say that? Because of what she heard. What did she hear? When people touch his garments, they're made whole. So she heard that. So she said that. And in the Amplified Bible, it says she kept saying, if I touch his garment, I'll be whole. If I touch his garment, I'll be whole. In other words, she absolutely took responsibility for her receiving her healing by touching his garment. It was up to her to get to him. He wasn't going to her. She could have stayed where she was and for the rest of her life suffered with that issue till she died. But she didn't. She said, if I touch his garment, I will be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, that virtue, 1411, same word, dunamis, miracle-working power, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, who touched me? In other words, why would you ask that question when all these people are touching you? You know, there's a touch of curiosity. There's a touch of observation. Sometimes there's a touch of mockery. Right? No, no. He looked around about to see who had done this thing because he felt virtue go out of him. But when the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Told him all the truth. Isn't that just like a woman? To tell you all the truth. Everything. Forgive me. Here's the point. She said so much of the truth that Jairus' daughter died in the process. That's where he was going to heal her, remember? Well, finally, just came and said, too late, she's already gone. What did she tell him, all the truth? Oh, I can only imagine what she told him. What we just read. I went everywhere. I tried everything. I was getting worse and worse. I know I'm unclean. I realize it did something that really defies the law, the religious laws of our land and I was wrong for doing what I'm doing, but I heard that anybody who touches you gets healed, and I couldn't sit there any longer, I tried this, it didn't work, I tried that it didn't work, I tried this potion it didn't work, I tried that practice, it didn't work, I went everywhere, spent all that I have, and nothing better. but I rather grew worse, and when someone came along, and just shouted from a distance, and said, if you touch his garment you will be whole, and I said, I'm throwing caution to the wind, man I'm going to find out where he's at, I am going To touch the hem of his garment, and nothing is going to stop me from doing it. If I touch his clothes I will be whole. And she set out. And then she saw the throng, the people thronging him there, and she thought, How am I going to get to him? I'm not letting anything stop me. She kept saying, If I touch his clothes, I'll be whole. If I touch his clothes, I'll be whole. She wasn't going to give up until finally she crawled between their legs and went over to the garment of Jesus and touched it, and boom, like electrical current flowed out of him, flowed from him, into her body. And she was healed of that plague. What did she hear? If you touch him, you'll be whole. What did she say? If I touch him, I'll be whole. What did she do? She touched him and she was whole. Do you think she believed what she was saying? Sure she did. She believed it. She embraced it so much so she acted on it. And her declaration of faith kept her faith in action, motivating her to get to where he was at and touch his garment. That's faith in operation. And she refused to let the crowd deter her from getting her need met. Look at another example in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning at verse 34. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into an house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid for a certain woman. Notice it's always a certain woman. to so let us know that this is, a, this is not a parable. This is a certain woman who really did this whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him. What did she do? She heard of him and came and fell at his feet. Do you think she would have been there if she didn't believe what she heard of him? She heard of him and she believed it so much, she fell at his feet. This woman was a Greek. She's not even a Jew. A Syrophoenician by name. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. What was her petition? Please evict this demon from my daughter who's tormenting her. But Jesus said to her, let the children first be filled, for it's not meat or proper to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. A name often used for Gentiles. It's not right for me to do that. I didn't come for you. I came for the Jews. That's the children's bread. They have the covenant rights. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, Because of my power, because of who I am. Now, what did he say? For this saying, in other words, because of what you just said, Go thy way. The devil is gone out of thy daughter. Why was the devil out of her daughter? Because of what she just said. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Got her daughter back. Normal once again. But what did he say for this saying? What did she hear? He's got authority over devils, I would assume. What did she believe? If I just go and petition him, he'll do it. What did she hear from him? It's not right to give you what belongs to the children. What did she say? Dogs have rights. Maybe I don't have any covenant right. Maybe I don't have any family right. Maybe I have no national rights because I'm not part of the Israeli group, the Hebrew people, the Jewish nation. But you know what? I've got the right of a dog to get a crumb that falls from the table. That's all I need. Every ingredient that's in the whole loaf is found in a crumb and all I need is a crumb and that's all I'm asking you for. And for this saying, he says, the devil is gone out of your daughter. How powerful is that? Can you imagine when she went back home and saw her daughter in a right mind? It's hard even for us to Relate to it. If, you don't, if you've never had a demon-possessed daughter, it's hard to relate to it, isn't it? But imagine that. Well, you can only imagine the fellow who brought his son to Jesus, who was suicidal because he had a suicidal spirit. Remember that story? Oftentimes, he tries to kill himself, commit suicide by throwing himself into the water or into the fire. Can you imagine every day trying to monitor that situation? Think about it. So imagine what this daughter was probably like. Can you imagine what life was like in that home when she's demon-possessed and probably lashing out in so many different ways? But now she's free. Why? For this saying. Because of what you just said. The devil's gone. So even though she was entitled to any Abrahamic benefits, praise God, she got delivered because of the right of a dog. Look at the next one. This is a Statement that Paul made in 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called. And hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Did you know faith is a fight? Faith does not mean we effortlessly glide through life without any challenges coming our way. And if you were taught that, I didn't teach you that. You've learned that in the world you will have tribulation from Jesus. And I echo that. But be of good cheer, he says, because I've overcome the world. We know we're going to be tempted, tested, and tried, but don't let anybody say God's doing it because he doesn't do that to anyone. Right? Right? Okay, it's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life and that more abundantly, he says. So fight the good fight of faith. The word here that's used in the Greek for fight, it's a word that basically defines struggles and agony or agonizing. Like in Olympic competitions, for example, if you were in the wrestling competition in those Greek games that they had way back in like Olympics and all that, Can you imagine how they wrestled with each other and how they agonized to become victorious, to win the gold? Sometimes I'll sit and watch college wrestling. You don't want to watch professional wrestling. That's crazy. Now, way back in the days of Bruno Sammartino, it was a lot better. Remember Bruno Sammartino from Pittsburgh? Great wrestler, great guy too. But anymore, it's, it's crazy now. They don't wrestle. They use chairs and ladders and all kinds of crazy stuff to beat each other up. But college wrestling is intense. And these people struggle. They agonize. They use every ounce of their strength and ability to pin the opponent down on the ground. They're fighting. So that word fight means to agonize over something. Why? To emerge victorious. That you are going to use Everything you possibly can to rise up victorious. Well, what's the opposition? Who's challenging us when it comes to faith? What's challenging us when it comes to faith? As Peter began to walk out there on the water, was he not challenged? He sure was. So let's we listed for you some things. For example, the flesh will rise up against the will of God. Do you know the flesh will always give us a problem when you step out of the realm of the senses into the realm of faith? And what's it trying to do? What it did to Peter. Get back in the boat. Get back in the boat. Get back in the boat, man. Right? Think about it. He's now in faith. He's walking on the water. But now here comes the flesh rising up against what was happening To get us back out of the spiritual realm into the natural realm to be controlled by the senses. Faith goes beyond the five senses. Faith does not need the five physical senses to believe that God is at work. It doesn't need the five senses to say, oh, now I know God's working. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you do not see. In other words, your five physical senses have nothing to do with your faith in God. It's believing beyond the sense realm in the realm of the spirit. It's believing in unseen things while we look not at things seen, but things that are not seen. It is rising up to a place where we have this sixth sense called faith that we believe beyond the abilities of our five physical senses. That's what faith is. And so what happens? The flesh recalls at that. You know, I'm not supposed to walk on water. I know I started out, but man, I'm getting scared. And so it opposed him. You're supposed to agonize in faith and say, I'm not going to yield to that. I'm not going to allow that to bring me out of the realm of faith. But he didn't. Aren't you glad that when you fail, that you can call out to Jesus and he'll still save you? Number two, it's the mind that struggles with thoughts and images or imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. So now we have all this happening up here. Did Jesus not get tempted by the devil? And what was the temptation? Not just the physical one, but now we have a mental one. He tried to use scripture against him and just say, if you throw yourself down, the angels are going to bear you up in their hands. And he said, no, you can't tempt the Lord like that. So we've got a struggle in the mind. We've got pressure coming against our intelligence, our mental faculties, trying to get us out of faith by doing what? Inserting fear. Into our minds. Make us think the wrong thing. So now we have a struggle. What are we supposed to do? Fight the good fight of faith. Fight. Agonize against this enemy. Use every fiber of your being. Remember the Bible says that Jesus fought sin unto blood. Remember he did that? He agonized in the, at the rock in the garden. To do the will of God. And not walk away from it. Let this cup pass from me. He told his disciples, can't you help me? Can't you pray? Can't you support me with prayer? Man, I'm in a battle right now. I'm agonizing over this thing right now. Go ahead and sleep. You're tired. I understand it. Then he emerged victorious after he won the victory over his emotions. The third one, we've got circumstances that contradict God's word. And we know that we all face adverse circumstances. Whether it's a financial need, a relational need, whatever, a physical need, whatever it might be circumstances don't always line up with the word of God. And circumstances have a voice. There are many voices in the world, and one of which is circumstances. And when you think about, for example, the walls of Jericho, they present a set of circumstances that are hard to convince people that you could be victorious over, because nobody's penetrated those walls. But God tells you to do something illogical. And you get out there and you start doing what God says to do, which is an act of faith because you believe that God will defend you and bring those walls down. But you start acting out and what happens? God tells them, don't speak. Don't say a word. Do you remember when Zacharias was told John was going to be his son? They were going to have a baby. John will be his name. And what happened to him? He says, how can this happen? I'm old. And what did Gabriel say to him? I just came from the throne of God. I gave you a report. And what do you do? You doubt that, struck dumb. Don't say another word till it comes to pass. You're not going to interfere with the program of God. God has a way to get his will done. If that means to shut someone's mouth, that's exactly what he did. So you're walking around those walls. Don't talk to one another. Don't be like the other group before you. We can't do this. Those walls are too strong. They're too big. What are we doing here? Are you kidding me? Walking around these walls. What's it going to do? Look at those men up there. They're warriors up there. Look at all the weaponry that they have. And here we are vulnerable to these people down here. Can you imagine them talking like that? Don't say a word. Just walk around the walls. On the seventh day, go seven times. And on the seventh time, when they blow the shofar and they sound the trumpet with the Ark of the Covenant, then shout. Talk about raising a hallelujah? And the walls came tumbling down. You don't think those circumstances that were presented to them could cause them to be afraid, to fear for their lives? So they had to struggle against them, agonize over them. And what about this next one? Have you ever had people talk you out of your faith life? I have. They tried don't go to school in Rama. don't leave your hometown i've got faith to go and do that because i believe god called me to do it but when they're pecking away at you and saying don't do it 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 you know what it can speak loud can it it can deter you from following the plan that god has for your life can't it mm-hmm. okay i won't do that then you'll walk away from the will of god faith comes by hearing and when god said to go you got to go. It presents a challenge when you go. Here's the thing. You're going to leave your job. How are you going to support your family? What are you going to do? You're going to go find a minimum wage job. you got a good job here. And all this talk is going on. All this opposition. If you got to stand and agonize against all that nonsense. You cling to the word of God. And you fight the good fight of faith. And you just say, you know what? This is what God said to do. And I'm going to do it. The next one. You've got... The devil himself. And what is he doing? Presenting all kinds of scenarios to oppose what you're stepping out to do. And no matter who you are, I guarantee you this is true. Whenever you operate in faith, your faith antenna goes up. You see, in the realm of the spirit, we don't understand. We don't see these things. But there's not a whole lot of multitude of people putting up their faith antennas. When one goes up, it's clearly seen. By the devil and his bunch. You think they're going to target you over here when you're not operating in faith? They're not concerned about you. You're not doing anything. But when your faith antenna goes up, look out. They're coming your way. Paul the Apostle is a perfect example. He was never persecuted when he was walking in Jewish country. Following Jewish laws. Abiding by the principles and the rules, right? The moment he got off that course and got on the course that Jesus had for him. What happened to him? All kinds of opposition was stirred up to come against him, to keep him out from the will of God. Would have been easy for him to give up and abort his faith project. So the word good in context, it means put forth your best effort to overcome. Your best effort. It's going to take everything we have to stand against these things coming against us. The circumstances, the devil, the thoughts, the imaginations, the flesh, wanting to do it a different way. And the biggest battle is right here with ourselves. And so don't let that happen, he is saying. Fight the good fight. It's, In other words, Paul says, after using the word fight again, fight the good fight. It's a good fight means you are throwing everything into it. You are completely focused. You're completely concentrated on just overcoming the obstacles that prevent your faith from being effective to receive what God has for you. Having done all to stand, in other words, stand and don't abort your faith project. Stand firm. Fight the good, fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. It belongs to you. Don't let go of it. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, hold fast that which you have. Why would he say that if you couldn't let it go? Hold fast to your declaration of faith and don't let anything take it out of your hand. Don't let anything take it from you fight the good thought of faith, agonize over it like a wrestler would to say, uh-uh, you're not getting the best of me. No way. And then you've got the word profess. You professed a good profession before many witnesses. The word profess here is the same word confess. It's the same identical Greek word that sometimes translated confess and sometimes translated profess. It's all the same. To profess it, to confess it, it's all the same. So... Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before, also before my Father, which is in heaven. Have you confessed him before men? Jesus is the Lord of my life. Can you imagine that first time when you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved? You confessed him as Lord and Savior of your life. Can you imagine that taking place in heaven? Uh, Father, Bill called upon my name. He's confessed me before men. I'm confessing him before you. He is one of us now. He's part of our royal family. You confess me before men. I'll confess you before my father in heaven. Also, if we confess and make our declaration, by your stripes I was healed. I'm confessing that Jesus is my healer. He's confessing me before the father. And then also look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. And this makes it as clear as can possibly be. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession or confession, Christ Jesus. He's the high priest of it, of our declaration. And remember, it starts with saving grace nothing is more important than confessing him as Savior and Lord of our lives. And as we confess him as Savior and Lord, praise God, he confesses us before the Father, and they acknowledge that we belong to the family of God. But once again, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, soteria, which means salvation, healing, deliverance, wholeness, soundness. All those are implied in that one Greek word. And so therefore, confession is made unto. If we don't declare it, if we don't decree it, then how can he get it into our possession? How can it be activated on our behalf? In the book of 1 Samuel, we see this played out in the life of David. And as far as I'm concerned, this is a powerful example of what it means to believe in your heart and say with your mouth what you believe And also, it's an example of David got this faith in his heart out of a close fellowship with God. He was not echoing or parroting somebody else. He wasn't following what someone else told him to do who was untried. David watched his father's sheep. He was the shepherd over the sheep. In the process, and before we even get to 1 Samuel, In the process of it, he developed intimacy with his creator. He took time to think about the closest that he had with him. I'm sure he thought about all that he had learned over the years of his life, even though he was young. But you have to understand this, when you're young as a Jew, you learn a lot. You learn a lot of the word of God. And so he had a close relationship with God. As a matter of fact, I can envision him doing this. I'm the shepherd of these sheep. They're my father's sheep. I take that to heart. I'm not a hireling. I'm a good shepherd. I'm gonna watch over these sheep with my life. I will defend them with my life. I'll make sure they're fed. I'll make sure they have water to drink. I'll make sure they're comfortable. And if one escapes, I'll make sure I go and bring them back. I am the keeper of these sheep. I take it to heart. And I will watch over them with my life. Okay, Lord. Who's my shepherd? You're my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. You restore my soul. You lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And yo, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Think about it. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me every day of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a psalm. Birth out of what? Watching sheep. Needing a shepherd. Who's the good shepherd of the sheep? Jesus is. Do we know him that well? He knew how well. He would take care of him. But listen, when a lion came, he was undaunted. He killed the lion with his hands. When the bear came, he was undaunted. Where does that kind of faith come from? Man, you're my shepherd. You're watching over me. And I know you're defending me. So now let's take it up. He's before Goliath. Let's read it. First Samuel. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. This guy's huge. He's about 11 foot, 10 to 11, a little taller than I am. And he's there. His shield is bigger than David. His spearhead weighs 20 some pounds. Can you imagine this specimen of a warrior? Intimidation, possibly. What does David say? David said, but Pastor Bill told me to say this. (laughs) Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear, and with a shield, I come to thee, hallelujah, in the name of the Lord of hosts, stop right there, whose name, the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied, this day will the Lord, who's going to do this, This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee. Notice, the Lord will, and I will. And take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. David said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Used 235 times in scripture. And it's talking about he is the Lord over all earthly and heavenly armies. So, You think you have an army here, you Philistines? You think this big Goliath is bigger than the God that I serve? He's the Lord of hosts. And remember, he said, he's going to give the carcasses of the hosts of the army of the Philistines. Whose army would you like to be a part of? Do you remember Saul? Head and shoulders above anybody else in the Israeli army. Was afraid to go before Goliath. Remember how his brothers mocked him. And just said you come out here. You just you silly boy get out of here. Do you remember none of those warriors. None of those soldiers that were trained and taught for battle. Would even think about standing before Goliath. Why? They had no faith. In their God. In the Lord of hosts. Why? Why? They didn't spend time with the sheep under the stars and just, the Lord is my shepherd. Glory to God. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in those green pastures. What does he do in the presence of my enemies? He prepares the table before me. I can feast from, praise God. I'm going to eat while he fights. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. He developed such intimacy with God he knew him so well that when he stood there undaunted no fear whatsoever size does not matter weaponry does not matter I'm telling you I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of hosts there's no one bigger there's no one stronger there's no one greater and today he will deliver you into my hand and I will cut off your head and what happened may I ask you wake? What happened? He got what he said. He believed in his heart. He said with his mouth. And he got what he said. He cut off his head. And you know the rest of the story, right? What an example of believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth. You think it would have worked if he would have said, Um, hey, uh, uh, John. What was that verse of scripture again? Give it to me. This guy, is, he means business here. Oh yeah, I remind me of that one. No, when it's here, you don't need to have somebody to tell you anything. When it's here in the heart, with the heart man believes, with the mouth confessing is made unto, the outcome is glorious. Amen. That's how faith works. That's how faith works. Let's all stand together before the Lord.